To listen to memory card episodes early and ad-free, consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com memcard. Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli, and this is Memory Card. As you may have seen in the news, Nintendo decided that they were going to delay the Advanced Wars reboot that was coming to the Switch here in April. And we had already planned a episode that was all about the history of Advanced Wars. In fact, Push was the one who did all the research on that. And uh, we just decided that because they're delaying the game due to the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, we thought that it was probably the good, respectable thing to also delay the episode about Advanced Wars. So when that game hits the eShop or hits store shelves, we will release that episode on the history of it. And until then, we are going to sneak in a new episode right here, possibly the, an episode that we've uh, recorded the closest to its release date. And uh, it just so happens that one of our past guests reached out and said, hey, I've got an idea for a new episode. You know, do you think maybe you'd be interested? And Push and I were like, yeah, we need one <laughs> right now. So uh, joining me here today is Philip Drobar. VFX editor and um, indie dev. Uh, how's it going, Philip? It's going well. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah. Now, last time you came and you talked to us about the, the special handheld, what was the name of that? Oh, the GP2X. That's right. Yeah. There was a lot of customization. I remember a lot of wacky different games that you brought up. Uh, Snake on Dope, <laughs> I believe, was one of them. <laughs> yeah. So if you have the, the chance, go back and listen to that uh, episode. It's a good one. It's one of my favorite uh, guest episodes that we've ever done. So, um, you know, it's been a while since we did that. You've been working on indie games. You've been working on visual effects for your uh, company. What have your most recent projects been in the, in the VFX area? So uh, the company I work at, Digital Domain, um, not too long ago, finished work on Spider-Man No Way Home, mm. which hit theaters in December. I think, I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, a little, little known movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you had a chance to see it in theaters, um, you'll find my name in the credits as VFX editor for Digital Domain. And our company worked, for example, on uh, the scene where Spider-Man fights with uh, Doc Ock on the bridge in New York. Very cool. And that one was kind of like heavily featured in trailers and a lot of the preview stuff, so I'm sure... People were really looking forward to that when the movie actually came out. Yeah, it was really excited to see that um, reveal because I think in one of the first trailers, they revealed that Doc Ock is back. And that was one of the shots that we did. And it was really, really fun to see people get excited about it. Yeah, I, I recall the last time you were on, you had worked on Sonic the Hedgehog, the, the very first movie. Yes, correct. Yeah, so you have quite the, uh, quite the resume there going. <laughs> Thank you. I think I think a lot of our audience is going to be uh, kind of uh, impressed, maybe jealous that you have had a chance to have your hand in you know these iconic movies and franchises. Yeah, I was. I'm I'm, I'm really lucky that I am able to work on some of these projects that are, that are really cool. And then you know these are like globally reaching uh, movies, franchises. But then in your own time, uh, you're working on games that you're just doing solo. Tell me about some of the games you've been working on or, or ones that you've already put out. I think last time I mentioned Chestnut Grove, which was like my first game that I made, which is like a, a short walking sim 
kind of game that helped me a bit with like dealing my experience with the COVID pandemic and the isolation that comes with it. And ever since that release, I had a new idea and that actually ties in into the episode, which is I wanted to make a Picross game, but a new type of Picross game, mm. or at least like put my own little spin on it by using the Picross puzzles as a mechanic and like a fighting system. Oh. And then building a kind of little RPG sci-fi adventure around it. That sounds awesome. I feel like traditional RPGs, even Pokemon, I feel like has gotten a little stale for me. Um, at least the traditional battle mechanics of just choosing what you do. I really like it when it's um, like um, the world ends with you or Mario and Luigi, where you have to have some input to you know dodge things correctly or get an attack to land just right. So that sounds very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And what's the name of this uh, new game, at least uh, at the moment? Oh, it's called Grid Hack. And... Um... Yeah, it's, it's still in its very early stages, but if you want to take a peek, um, you can find me on Twitter, and I have a link to a teaser trailer right in my profile as a pinned tweet. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get to the history of Picross, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I guess as a start, we could talk about what Picross actually is, if you're not familiar with it. Picross is a puzzle game, and more precisely, it's a logic puzzle. So logic puzzles are usually characterized by having very well-defined rules, and there's usually only one unique solution to it, which goes a little bit, for example, if you take uh, crossword puzzles, sometimes there's multiple words you can use and they fit and the solution is still valid. But in logic puzzles, usually there's only one correct solution. Makes sense. And in Picross, so in order to picture how it looks like, um, Picross, you're presented with a grid of cells, and you have to fill in specific cells or have to leave others blank according to numbers that are on the side of the grid and on top of it. And once you filled in the correct squares, um, the grid kind of reveals a hidden picture. So kind of like imagine a crossword puzzle that's completely empty. And instead of any word hints, you have just a bunch of numbers on the top and on the side of it. Right. And the crossword puzzles normally already have like parts of it sectioned off that you shouldn't write in. But Picross grid is completely blank, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. I was a little late to the Picross game, if I'm being honest. Um, I've played quite a few of the games in the last few years, but up until mm -hmm. that point, I don't know, I, it just didn't really appeal to me. I think I glanced at it a couple of times and thought, ooh, like this, this might be a little too complicated for me. But, and, and it does, I mean, there's, you know, dozens of numbers on the screen and, and it looks like it might be really hard. But once you kind of find the flow of like how to solve each puzzle, it gets really addicting. Absolutely. Yeah, if you don't know the rules a little bit, it can seem really intimidating. But I think once once you just try it and get the hang of it, I think there's no escape from the addictive nature <laughs> of Picross games. Um, so, so when did you start when you said you just got into Picross recently? 
You know, when I was in Japan in 2019, I picked up the Game Boy, um, Mario's Picross, like a boxed version of that for the Game Boy. And since the Game Boy is not region locked, I I could pop that in when I got home and play around with it. And um, then I was like, oh, well, there's, you know, a bunch of different Switch games. There's like Picross S, two, three, four, five. So... I started playing all sorts of games. Yeah. Um, I think I went back and uh, did a little bit of the Pokemon Pit Cross that was on the 3DS. Yeah, I don't know. It's just really fun that, especially because, you know, you solve a crossword puzzle and it, uh, there's a bunch of words now. It's great. But when you solve a Pit Cross puzzle, it actually makes a picture, which is really cool. It's very satisfying. That's, that's interesting that you actually started with the original, that that's like the first Pit Cross game you played. Yeah. Where did, where did you start playing, or when did you start playing? I think my first one was Picross DS, mm. which was, I think, the game that kind of started the second wave of Picross, as I, I'm i going to call it when we go a little bit into the history. There's two waves of Picross, and we're a little bit in the second wave now. And yeah, and it just took over my life at that time. I couldn't stop until I finished it every Picross puzzle that's in that thing. I just got hopelessly addicted right away. It should be it should be noted that there's different levels of uh, grids. There's like a 5x5 five five grid, which is really easy, and then a 10x10, 10 10, 15x15, and then there's like ones that are like 30x30, 30 30, like huge ones. Although those ones, I don't know, they cause me a little too much anxiety. 15x15 15 15 is usually about as high as I go, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. No, there's a, there's some really, really interesting twists and different modes on Picross that they try to keep the formula fresh. And yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But how about we, we, before we get into that, and before we even start with video games off Picross, let's go back even further um, and talk about the invention of Picross. Sounds good. That's one area that I definitely have like no expertise. I'm actually really interested to hear what you found when you dug into this. Yeah, this was a lot of fun and it was actually um, trickier than I thought because Picross, before it was actually called Picross, the other name for it that's that's most mostly well known is Nonograms. And the name comes from one of the inventors. And I say one of the inventors because Picross was actually invented mm-hmm. by two separate people independently from each other really yes wow so the first person that invented picross was a japanese graphics editor called non ishida she entered a competition in 1987 to design a picture that would be displayed with the windows of a skyscraper in tokyo so if you if you can picture a skyscraper you can the typical skyscraper has these square windows on the side and so the artwork that they wanted to get designed for the, the skyscraper would have been kind of like just squares of light that would be on or off. So it would, be, would have been a monochromatic kind of pixel art, hmm. if you think about it that way. And No Nishida won th- that competition, and that actually gave her the idea to come up with a puzzle around filling, uh, filling in certain squares in a grid. In the year after, in 1988, she published three picture grid puzzles in Japan, and she called those window art puzzles, Hmm. which would be a reference to actually the skyscraper windows. Um, So this is the first appearance based on on her invention. But also in the same year, there was a 
another famous puzzle author called Tetsuya Nishio. And he was mostly known already for creating and publishing Sudokus or like Sudoku books. Oh. In one of his books that also was published in 1988, he came up with what he called Oekaki Sudoku. I hope I pronounced it somewhat okay. <laughs> um, it basically means paint by Sudoku, referring that you would paint a picture using numbers. That was actually the same thing. It was the same type of puzzle. So when those two puzzles were released for a while, there was a bit of a conflict to be like, who was the true inventor of this? But they realized that they actually published the same puzzle in the same year. And they were both just kind of cool with it. And it's like, okay, that's what it is. <laughs> that's funny. I was wondering if it was going to be two people in Japan or if it was going to be someone, you know, on the opposite side of the world. But it kind of helps that they at least, you know, shared the same language and nation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if it would have been like somebody from another country, it would have definitely become probably more complicated or yeah, or who knows. <laughs> Looking into, into Nishio's work on his Sudoku books, I, I read some of his books because I wanted to find the book that had the first Picross in it. And he went on to, to publish more and more Picross books that he still calls uh, Uikaki Sudoku. Mm -hmm. And one of the reviews for it was kind of funny because I realized that people are really serious about the puzzles. And I'm going to quote the Times of London review of one of his puzzle books. Tetsuya Nishio is the undisputed grand puzzle master of Sudoku, a bespectacled fiend from the darkest suburbs of Tokyo, who spends his every waking hour devising abominable new ways to torture our brain cells. His only weapon is logic, but in his own words, it is a knife that kills. And his commitment to deviousness is absolute. Wow. I want that on my I want that on my gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, commitment to deviousness uh, might be the title of this episode <laughs> that's amazing yeah i was really like wow people take their sudokus and their their puzzles very very serious following following that invention of picross uh, known ishida in 1989 so the next year showed james dalgety her window art puzzles james dalgety was a british puzzle collector and also puzzle designer um, though he focused more on physical puzzles, um, like rings on a rope and those kind of puzzles, if you can picture those. Yeah. But he was he was fascinating. He was he was fascinated by puzzles of all kinds, and he really liked those puzzles that she made. And they came to an agreement that they would commercialize her designs throughout the world outside of Japan, and. In 1990, he was able to convince the British Telegraph newspaper to publish those puzzles in their Sunday edition. So every week, there would be a new puzzle. And they needed a name for the West. So oh. James Dalgety actually made up the word nonogram, which is a combination of um, Nonishida's first name and the word diagram. Uh, so that's where that name, name comes from. And yeah, I think it's it's pretty nice. cool if you have a puzzle that actually has your name in it. Yeah, the Bertoligram coming soon. <laughs> um, th those names actually became a bit of a, a problem later on because, I mean, we already established there's already like three or four names for these puzzles. We have the Nonogram, we have the Oikaki Sudoku, and the Window Art puzzles. And after a while, after the Nonograms became more famous internationally, and Japan 
like Japanese newspapers started to pick up Ishida's uh, books and puzzles in their own newspapers, she decided she wanted to use the name Nonogram only for puzzles that she designed herself. Mm. And that ended the collaboration with James Delgatti. And that was around 1996. It's like, you know, it's only really Champagne if it's from the Champagne region of France <laughs> exactly. kind of thing. It's like, it's not really one of, you know, my nonogram puzzles because I didn't design it. Yeah, pretty much. So because of that, actually, the, uh, the Sunday Telegraph were like, oh, we need to come up with a new name for this. And they decided to run a competition to choose a new name for this puzzle in 1998. You will never guess what kind of name readers choose for this puzzle. I, I mean, I'm going to guess Picross. Am I wrong? You unfortunately are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they decided the name Griddler. Griddler? Yes. Like Griddler. Like a, a grid riddle? Exactly. I think that was their thinking. Like, like Batman's new greatest nemesis, <laughs> the Griddler? Exactly. Yeah, it sounds like a Batman villain. I, it or, does, and or, it also sounds like a breakfast food from McDonald's. That's that's what I said. It sounds for me like, <laughs> oh, you want some knockoff hash browns? Like yeah. a brand hash browns would be Riddlers. The Riddler, three ninety nine. Besides that uh, beautiful name, Nonograms also became known by many other names. A lot of these were also originated from video games, but many of those were also just used in puzzle books. Um, so there is paint by numbers, there's pick a picks, there's prisma pixels, pixel puzzles, figure pick, hieroglyphics, illust logic, Japanese crosswords, Japanese puzzles, always referring to their origin. Uh, there's logic art, logic square, logic color, logic puzzles, logic mage, and then of course the oikaki logic, oikaki mate, paint logic, picture logic. Paint by Sudoku, and also simple binary coloring books. Wow. Wow. So many different names that I could name this episode now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there are even more words for these puzzles out there. But we all know them by Picross. And that leads me to the next chapter, which is nonogram video games, or also just Picross games. So the name Picross was actually... Um, made by Nintendo when they released their first Picross game. Hmm. And they decided the word Picross comes from the combination of picture and crossword, which I think is a pretty, pretty nice combination. It's easy to say, and it's, it works internationally, I think. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's slightly better than Griddler. <laughs> just, just, just a, a little. Bit. Yeah. They, they started with their first game um, in 1995 in March when I think there was a little bit of a puzzle craze going around in Japan in general. Mm -hmm. um, so they picked up that, that puzzle and uh, turned it into a Mario game. And that title is Mario Picross. It was developed by Jupiter Corporation, and it was the first uh, major Picross game of any Picross series. And they also, um, as the title implies, used Mario in it. And the concept of it that Mario is like yeah. this explorer, like he's wearing this little explorer hat. Mm -hmm. And he basically chisels pictures out of a stone wall. That's how the graphics work. And that's what they um, use the grid for that Epicross is usually made out of. 
And that Explorer outfit of Mario is still around. Like you can find it in Mario Odyssey, I think is one of the outfits. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that's one of the ones. There's a there's a ton of like background on those outfits in that game. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's really it's really fun to look back like, hey, where did that even come from? <laughs> yeah. Well, you think that, you know, some of them you're like, oh, that's not a reference to anything. Like the, the space outfit is a reference to the Satella view. It's like, who who knows that yeah. you know, outside of the weird uh, Internet? gaming corner <laughs> yeah no, it's it's really cool that they i mean they have such a rich history to draw from and they still still have these callbacks to old titles like they don't they don't forget about those wow what an interesting episode we're gonna put things on pause for a moment to briefly explain how you can support memory card if you enjoy our content you can show your support by leaving positive reviews on your podcasting service of choice Four or five stars and a few kind words go a long way when it comes to convincing others to give the show a listen. So please do so if you find the time. Spreading the word is also very helpful. If you know anyone who's interested in gaming or history, or both, you should consider sharing Memory Card with them. Every season we strive to reach a wider audience, and you can help. If you're feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early ad-free episodes. Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shout-outs, stickers, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. Hey Ben, what's our sticker for this season? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. This season we have a lovely illustration of Gumbo, the bull terrier, wearing a memory card sweatshirt as drawn by artist Alice Carroll. And it's actually the dog of Jamatar who does the theme for our podcast. Whoa, that's like everything I love. I love dogs, I love sweatshirts, I love Jamatar. That's right, and it's a sticker. Whoa, I can stick it on my phone. <laughs> you can stick it wherever you want, Push. Well, thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's get back to the show. So that game, unfortunately, didn't really sell that well in the West. I think that whole puzzle craze didn't hit the West as much. Um, and so after they released it, they were like, okay, we're going to make more in Japan, but we're not going to bring those to the States and to Europe. And so the next game actually still came out that year in 1995, and it was a title called Tamori no Picross. And it is a reference to the Japanese comedian Tamori. And the weird thing about it is that the comedian himself like he does not appear in the game at all really so besides the title there's no reference to it which is a little bit weird it's but super odd was he on the box art or anything uh i'm not sure the box art and like some of the pictures that i found are just kind of like weird photoshop photos that have just like picross in them like you see like a table or something and there's picross on a paper so yeah, I didn't I didn't find one that has like the title and a picture of Tamori. That's like the bare minimum for a tie-in, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would think. Still also at the same year in September, they released another Picross game called Mario no Super Picross. So that's Mario's Super Picross. And as the name implies, it was released on the Super Famicom. And that game was the first game that introduced uh the so-called Warrior mode. Mm. And that's when we can talk about different Picross game modes. <laughs> and that's one that's actually available on the Nintendo Online uh, Switch service, right? Uh, yes, that's correct, I think. 
despite it being completely in Japanese. Yeah, but thankfully, I think this one, it's even if you don't speak Japanese at all, it's pretty clear on how to select the stages and the numbers. You can read the numbers and you can just go ahead and start puzzling if you want. Yeah, I've, I've made it, I think, about halfway through at least the Mario side of that game. Oh, nice. Um, actually, pretty recently, I, I got into that because I was like, hey, I like Picross games. Why why have I not given this a shot yet? No, it's it's because Picross is kind of like always the same. Those kind of games still hold up, even if they're really old. You can still just pick them up and puzzle and have just as much fun as with like the newest Picross game. Yeah. So regular Picross, especially like in the video games, if you try to solve the grid and you fill in a square that you shouldn't fill in, the game would usually tell tell you, like you would get an error message, you would hear a sound, and if it's um, a game mode that has a timer, you would sometimes be punished with like losing time. But in Mario No Super Precross, they introduced the so-called warrior mode. Mm -hmm. And the difference to the regular mode is that the game doesn't tell you if you make a mistake and you don't get any penalties or anything. But because of that, also, if you finish the whole grid and you made a mistake, you kind of like have to go back and figure out where you went wrong. And it doesn't count down. It counts up instead, right? Yes, exactly. So it's kind of like more of a, a timed challenge instead of putting you on a countdown. I guess you could say the warrior mode is closer to the original paper Picross if you go if you look for for that experience. That's true. All of these games were developed by the Jupiter Corporation. And we can talk a little bit about that company because it actually has a, a really interesting history. I think they're mainly known for Picross titles because they've published, I don't know, like dozens of them multiple ones per year but they were also really involved with the development of other quite well-known titles so for example they were co-developers on the gameway camera software mm -hmm. uh, together with uh, creature sync and hell laboratory they also co-developed the pokemon pinball games that uh, came out on the game by color and they also collaborated with square enix on games like kingdom hearts i think the one for the ds and also The World Ends With You, hmm. as that the one that you mentioned actually earlier. Yeah, and I don't think either of those games have like any kind of Picross puzzle element, right? <laughs> no, no, no. So no. this was, I mean, you know, you think of them as the Picross company, but they're putting out these games that have, you know, RPG elements and pinball and uh, camera software. It, it's quite the wide range. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They seem to be actually quite the versatile developer. And I was not able to figure out if they were Nintendo exclusive because they actually, in 1996, did develop Picross game for the original PlayStation called Numeric Paint Puzzle. Um, what I found interesting about this that this one wasn't called Picross, so it seems like hmm. the name Picross is usually um, associated with the Nintendo Picross games. So later on, they also developed a game called Picross 2, which is actually the third Mario Picross game, because it still has Mario in it, um, even though it's only called Picross 2. <laughs> and that one also came out for the Game Boy. And what I found cool about this game is that instead of the regular puzzle select screen, it had a little uh, stage where you would walk around as Mario in a top-down perspective. Kind of think of the first Zelda games. And you would actually use Mario to walk up to mm -hmm. blocks of stone to select your puzzle. And after you solve the puzzle, the 
stone would actually display the picture that you uncover. That's cool. It's almost like you're walking around a, a dig site or a museum or something. Exactly, yeah. And and also like the Mario that you play still is wearing his explorer outfit, of course. <laughs> Gotta dress the part. Um, so later on, they switched to develop the Picross NP series. Um, the NP stands for Nintendo Power, which was this Japan service that enabled you, I think, to get games on your Super Famicom. You probably know a little bit better on how that how that service worked. Push has talked on this a couple of times in the past, but what it was was basically a kiosk at, you know, like a convenience store, and you would take your special cartridge that could load and uh, games onto it, and you would put it in the system, you would choose which games you want, and it was like substantially cheaper um, than buying a whole new game, and you could, you know, swap things out. The obvious downside to that was that, you know, you only had room for so many games, um, did you want to like delete one to make room for another? But it's it's a really cool system. I, I wish it would have come to America, but I guess they just felt like it wasn't uh, something that, you know, Western gamers would have gravitated towards. No, it sounds really cool. Like it's a it's a great idea. Um, so, yeah, for that service, they released eight new Picross games um, in the time between April 99 and June 2000. Wow. So that's like a really, really small time span, if you think about it. It's like a little over a year. And what was cool about these Picross games were the themes. So they made a game, uh, like a Picross game, always focused on Pokemon. One was focused on Yoshi's story. There was a Kirby one. There was a Star Fox one. There was a Zelda Ocarina of Time one. There was a Mario 64 one and Donkey Kong Country and a Wario one. Wow. So which big Nintendo franchise is missing out of all of those <laughs> um S star fox no there is there is a star fox one. Oh, actually. you say star fox sorry um jeez yeah. fire emblem yeah i guess so there is no fire emblem one. <laughs> um i was sad that there was no metroid one. Oh, right that's that's what i was missing it's kind of weird too because super metroid was kind of a big title although metroid's never been as popular in japan oh i guess so and these are the kind of games that you know when they talk about digital preservation of games these as far as i know were never like collected into one you know game that you could buy uh there's people in japan who just go through those nintendo power cartridges the one and like hoping that they're gonna have you know data on a mm -hmm. game that they can dump onto their computer um so it'd be really cool if nintendo could like release all of them in one you know collection or something not that they ever will but <laughs> it'd be really nice <laughs> Yeah, there's always there's always hope, right? I guess. Never don't don't stop believing. <laughs> Be, besides those games, there were a bunch of a bunch of third-party Picross games that came around the same time. So I think it's all part of that puzzle craze that made its round around that that time in Japan. And I wanna mention a couple that really stood out to me. So first is a game series called Logic Pro. Those games initially came out as arcade cabinets. So there was actually Picross arcade games. Huh. So you would actually put in your coin and then get to solve Picross, which is kind of a weird thing because a lot of people associate puzzling, especially stuff like Picross, with just relaxing a little bit on the couch. Right. And I think you wouldn't specifically go to an arcade to do those kind of, to play those kind of games. Yeah. It also seems like, I mean, depending on 
how good you are at pit cross. It could take you a while. You might be standing there putting things together and working things out logically <laughs> for quite some time. Yeah, I think they worked that um, in the games, you had a little timer that would go down and it would only refill if you ticked, like filled in the right squares. Oh, I see. And that was a little bit the challenge. And I think you would also get, like you would lose a life if you ticked the wrong box and you had like five lives. Huh. And it was single player, I take it? It wasn't like a head-to-head? It actually had, it had like a co-op mode. Huh. So I think it would allow you if a second player would like put in their quarter, they would get their own cursor and you would co-op work on the same Picross puzzle. Oh, so you're not fighting against each other, you're, you're working together. Yes, at least that's the impression that I had when I looked at gameplay videos from it. So um, 2001 was actually the time where uh, the Picross craze kind of died down. There were no more, no more Jupiter games, there were no more big Picross releases. And also other Picross games, like the Logic Pro, they didn't release any more titles. But then, 2007, we had the big comeback with Picross DS. Yeah, well, I mean, the DS was already huge. It was, you know, selling gangbusters everywhere in the world. So, um, and, and, you know, that was right when Nintendo was promoting the kind of like casual side of video games you know they're like oh i think it was like was it g touch or something like the every everyone can play yes exactly yeah and there was the i think that um dr kawashima's uh, or kagoshima's brain training mm-hmm. like train train your brain those kind of games became really popular um so there was this i guess this like just this new um interest in puzzle games and i think one thing that also helped a lot was the touch screen on the ds which was super convenient for puzzle-type games. Like, you would have Professor Layton, and you have new Sudoku games. And then in 2007, we got a new proper Picross game called Picross DS, which was again developed by Jupiter. And this one was a hit in the West as well. This game also brought a couple of new things to the table. It used the Wi-Fi connection of the DS to allow you to download new puzzles and daily time challenges um, onto your console and solve those. So you kind of got like a steady supply of new Picross puzzles, which is which is really cool. Yeah. And it also introduced a versus mode. So not an arcade as you thought earlier, actually with Picross DS, mm. they got this little uh, competitive mode where you would play against another player with two 10 by 10 puzzles which are not like super difficult, but they're like already a little bit challenging and you could try to go fast. Right. It lends itself to this kind of like versus mode because they actually made it that if you make a mistake in it, um, the grid freezes for you for a little bit. So your opponent gets a little of a time advantage. And they also like they would display a little bar on the top that approximately shows you how close your opponent is to finishing. So you kind of like... Hmm could try to hurry up and beat them in, in time. Um, they also brought back Warrior Mode, though they changed the name. How, how dare they? <laughs> they just called it uh, Free Mode. So yeah, in general, you, you'd have to say that Picross DS just lost all connection to Mario. There was like no Explorer Mario going around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it had more this kind of like very sleek, modern, clean design. 
um, to really come off as this like relaxing puzzle game that you could just play anytime you want. I guess I guess that makes it a little more attractive to professional older people who might be put off by you know the Italian plumber jumping all over. Yeah, I think so too. It it became a bit more of a serious game and not too too playful, too colorful. Yeah. The follow up to this was actually another series of smaller Picross games. Um, called Picross E. And as the name implies, this was released on the Nintendo eShop. Um, so it came out for 3DS. And then around that time, like a little bit earlier in 2009, uh, they came up with a completely new type of Picross game. And that was Picross 3D. Oh, right. That one was actually not made by Jupiter. I guess they were busy pumping out those Picross E games. Um, that one was developed by HAL Laboratory, oh, which yeah. uh, most people will know as the developers of Smash Bros. Yeah, and Kirby. And Kirby, of course. I think you can tell a little bit, because in, in Picross 3D, you actually have this little mascot character that is something that's like that level of playfulness is something that HAL, I feel, is really good at. And that little uh, mascot character actually like uh, teaches you how to solve Picross, like 3D Picross puzzles, which mm-hmm. I guess is like was something completely new. They they still have the same principle of that you have to kind of like use logic and numbers to eliminate squares, but instead of just squares on a grid, you have uh, little cubes, and you kind of chisel away those uh, cubes that you can rule out to kind of create a sculpture. Yeah, it's like a little voxel puppy dog or a flower or something. Yeah. So are there any other Picross titles that have kind of like uh, put their own spin on it since that time? Um, I think Picross 3D was the biggest spinoff, if you want to call it a spinoff. Like, I guess if you're a purist, you could be like, no, this is its own thing. This is not Picross. This is a different type of puzzle. But they were, of course, like a lot of third-party games that also popped up again when Picross started back up. And so it also in 2007, there was a Picross game for the DS called Irarochi Bao. Mm-hmm. I hope I pronounced it somewhat correctly. And this one was more of your classic Picross game, pretty similar to uh, Picross DS. But I thought it was interesting because it was developed by From Software, which people might know as the developer's of Dark Souls, and <laughs> also just recently Elden Ring. Yes. Um, so yeah, I would have never expected to find that name on one of the Picross games. Was it was it brutally difficult in some <laughs> way? I think they had uh, the biggest puzzles in that game were 25 by 25, which if you know Picross, you know that this is pretty much the biggest Picross grid size you would find. Yeah. Like, a lot of people be like, this is not fun anymore because <laughs> it's <laughs> really hard to read all of those numbers. Right. Um, so yeah, they are, they're really difficult. So I guess you could make the argument that this was the Dark Souls of Picross. <laughs> Literally. They did also develop more spinoffs still. Like they were involved in developing a Final Fantasy themed Picross game. They did two anime themed uh, Picross games. I think one was based on the overlord anime and one was based on the anime called uh kimono friends and i know that um i think there was a picross game you could get 
for the 3DS with like um, my Nintendo points or something that was a uh, Legend of Zelda, but it, I think it was pretty limited in its scope. It was just kind of a reward. Yeah, that that was also it was also like done by Jupiter, and it was especially uh, focused on Twilight Princess, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jupiter also did uh, Pokemon Picross for the 3DS in 2015, and what stood out to me about this game was that it was a free-to-play title, but it had uh, microtransactions. And I think it was one of the first official like uh, Nintendo games that had microtransactions. So it got a lot of scrutiny for that. Yeah. To counter that, they actually introduced a cap on how much you could spend. So if you know microtransaction games, usually you have an in-game currency that you always run out of, and the game kind of like wants you to spend a little bit of money on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Pokemon Picross, there were these Picrits that gave you energy that you needed to tackle puzzles. And in the in-game store, if you bought 5,000 Picrits, it stops you from buying any more. And the game basically unlocks unlimited energy for you. And all the timers and so on just recharge way faster. And I think it's it was a nice little thing to see like, okay, we have microtransactions, but we try not to exploit it. Oh, and also right. as perspective, yeah. uh, five thousand picrits would equate to roughly thirty dollars of spending. Okay, so it's not that bad. I mean, that's the price of like a normal uh, 3DS game you might buy in a store. You know, thirty, forty bucks. So exactly, exactly. Yeah, that was one of the ones I tried before I actually got like deep into Picross. Um, you know, and I enjoyed it to a certain extent, but I think there was a point where I ran out of energy or attempts, and I was just like, eh. I'll move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's the downside with these free-to-play titles where you're like, ah, it kind of like blocks you a little bit. They actually wanted to do a Pokemon Picross game before they um, were working on a Game Boy Color Picross game, and they wanted to release it in 1999, but for some reason, they just canceled it, hmm. and it was never released. But an almost finished prototype of that game was part of a leak. Um, so it's out there and you can, I guess you could like find it and play it or you find footage of the whole game. Another fun little Picross game was actually a Mega Man themed Picross game that was developed by Capcom and it was only released on cell phones. And I'm saying cell phones, not smartphones, because it came out in 2011. Oh. But in Japan, even before iPhones and so on, you had some pretty sophisticated like app services already. And Capcom had actually their own little app service and they released a Mega Man themed Picross game and it had around 20 puzzles. And I think they actually released 20 more via a type of update, like a DLC. And you were able to play this just with like the number keys on your on your phone. Um, yeah, so this brings us, I guess, still to present day. And besides the um, Picross S series, um, there are still spin-offs in the works. There's also more, like more independent developers picked up on the Picross craze. There is uh, a game called Pick2Pix on Steam, which is pretty much the definitive PC Picross game. It has like, I don't even know how many hundreds and hundreds of uh, Picross puzzles of all sizes. And it 
adds more via DLC all the time. And it also works with Steam Workshop, which allows users to actually design their own Picross puzzles and upload them. And you can just download them and exchange puzzles that way. So in a way that is pretty much a never ending supply of Picross puzzles. Yeah, if you think of it like that. And another game that hit a bit the mainstream with like brought Picross back into conversation was a game called Murder by Numbers, which was released in 2020. And it was released also on PC, on Switch, and I think a couple other platforms. And this one is interesting because it's a crossover mix between a visual novel and Picross. I think I own that one. I, I didn't get very far into it. I can't remember why I stopped playing. I think just because I had some other game I wanted to get to, but it's just kind of like murder mystery, but the evidence and the clues are all like Picross puzzles, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, I, like, I've played it. I think it's actually a really, really great game. And it's, it's developed by Mediatonic, which is the developer behind Fall Guys. Um, oh. So it's, it's actually also, yeah, <laughs> a company that's huh. pretty, had a pretty big hit. It's just crazy that there's so many different like types of Picross games. I mean, this is something that's been around, obviously, for like, you know, 20, 25 years. And uh, it seems to still be going strong. Obviously, there's still people who play the games. It's been popular for a long time maybe, you know, kind of in a subtle way. But um, it's just really cool that there's still um, new games being made. I mean, you're making a game that, that includes um, aspects of it. I mean, I, I was a little worried that this, was, this episode was going to be too short, and now I'm a little worried that this episode's going to be too long. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I feel, I feel the same way, but I, I also, I, when I started the research on it, I, I knew about some of these games and I was like, oh yeah, there's like some fun, interesting games. And I thought the history of Picross was also really unique. Mm -hmm. But then the more I looked, I was like, oh my God, there's more and more and more. No, I love it. I love going down that rabbit hole. And uh, sometimes, you know, you, you have to tweak your focus. But I mean, we didn't, we didn't go too off the rails on this one. It was all Picross, just uh, different corners of that history. So yeah, Picross all the way. And yeah, I think I think like you said, I think fans of Picross will always every every couple of years want to pick up a new Picross game and do a bunch of Picross because you just get that itch. And I think the more games that are out there, and also the more unique twists you'll find on those games, the the more popular Picross becomes overall. Absolutely. So Philip, if people once again want to check out um, the trailer for your game or uh, just, you know, follow you, where should they find you online? It's probably best to find me on Twitter, which is at Philip Drobar. And on my profile, I have a pinned tweet about my game that I'm working on, which is Gridhack, which has the Picross mechanic in it. So yeah, please check it out. If you are interested in like following me and follow the development, of course, follow me. And I'm also always happy to talk about Picross games. So my DMs are open. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, well, thanks for coming on again. Uh, if you have another idea, we might have to have you on on a future episode. Uh, yeah, if I have one, I'll let you know immediately. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's all for now. 
Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his bangin' beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow. Or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting MemoryCard on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, all of which get access to early, ad-free episodes. These people include Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Harrison, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Shala, Sandra L., Brandon Hanabarger, Sean Marafini, and Nick Callis. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.